Welcome, Parkview. Welcome, Parkview Lockport. We're glad that you guys are here. I'm, uh, I'm glad to see you. It is really good to be back. I'm going to tell you that. I mean, it's good to, it's just, there's, there's something about this place. Do you know that? There's something about what God is doing here. Listen, listen to worship being here. I had a good break. I need to be out of here every once in a while because, you know, there's, there's no place for me to go around here that I'm not on. So, I need to switch the switch off every once in a while, and I need to see my family. So I got to spend a bunch of time with my family, a bunch of time down in Missouri with, uh, with all of Denise's family down there, which is always interesting. Uh, I have two brother-in-laws, Denise's brother and, and brother-in-law that are both uh, some of my best friends, and uh, we spent some time together, and, uh, and this is the result. Um, got pulled over by the boat police. Have you ever been pulled over by the boat police? Anybody ever been pulled over by the boat police? Okay, all right, good. All right, I feel you. All right, I, I wasn't, you know, like breaking the law. I wasn't, you know, drunk driving or anything. My, uh, my not, not the dumbest brother-in-law broke the light on the back of the boat. It had one of those, the boat we were using had one of those poles with a light on it, and he broke it trying to put it in. So it's dark. You're supposed to have a light on. So um, his heart is bigger than his brain. So he was using his uh, iPhone as a light. <laughs> Right? Isn't that what we do? The iPhone fixes everything, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the cop didn't think that was quite good enough, so he pulled us over, and, uh, and my other brother-in-law took a picture of him, which I'm thinking, like, this is great. Hey, you know what? When you're getting arrested, you probably shouldn't, you know, like, post it on social media, but whatever. Um, it was fine. He gave us a light. We got back to the dock. He was a great guy. It was all good, but that's kind of the, kind of the story of what it's like when I'm with uh, my wife's family. I, I went to the doctor when I got back, got a checkup. He said my blood pressure was high, and, um, you know... I said, yeah, I get that from my family. He said, your mom's side or your dad's side? I said, no, my wife's side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, you'd have to meet him, okay? Uh, last weekend, I got to preach at a, at a, at a giga church. Uh, that's over 10,000, uh, a big church in Phoenix. Good friend of mine, Cal Jernigan, who's, who's preached here for me, um, invited me in uh, to preach in Phoenix, which is really nice anytime but August. Not that great of a friend, but uh, you know it worked out really well because our youngest daughter, Becca, has graduated from uh, college in L.A. And she's going to live in Phoenix and do a residency with a, a church out there, CCV, and get her master's degree and do some stuff out there for a year. So we got to move her in and get all that stuff uh, going. And, and, and so it's just a lot of good things were able to happen, but it's good to be here. And it's back to school time here, and that doesn't affect me anymore, you know, but, uh, but it does you, and, and it does as a season, okay? So as a, se- as a church season, and our church season kind of rolls along with the school season, like a lot of things. We even have our budget set up so that, uh, you know, it, it is September 1 through August 31 because that's kind of the ebb and flow of how things work around here. So before we launch into full-fledged into the season, fall season, we're going to do a, a series five weeks called It's Your Soul, Man, and it, we're going to talk about your soul. We're going to talk about the, the things that, that really are going to affect your life eternally, and it's going to be great. Before we do that... Two of my friends uh, and I have decided we're going to get together and do a series at all of our churches at the same time, which is not unheard of, but this one's going to be a little bit different because uh, Gene Apple is a pastor out at Eastside Christian Church in Fullerton, California. He was a teaching pastor at at Willow Creek up in South Barrington. You've heard him preach here. You love him. He's going to preach here next weekend, and then he's going to send 
the sermon to Eastside that he preached here, I mean, like the video of it, and they're going to watch him out in California. And, and so he's going to do the first one, and then I'm going to do the middle two here, and then Mike Bro, who is also a teaching pastor at, uh, at, at Willow and is um, now the pastor at Heartland Church over in Rockford, is going to do the closer. So we're going to do that, and there are other churches that are going to jump in and steal our stuff and maybe even show the video. So we thought it would be kind of fun, and it's going to be called Risk It. And it's basically like, uh, I'm going to tell you something today that I think will intro this and the, the, the thing that's important to your life, and then you're going to figure out how you can take that into your life in the next, uh, in the next season of ministry. So that's, that's what's going to happen. So Gene will preach next week. Mike will preach here on Labor Day on the two weeks in between, and we're going to kind of share it and do it all day together, okay? But here, here's what's... So, so that ended up giving me a, an in-between week, okay? I, I didn't want to start something because we're working on stuff together, so... Gave me an in-between week. And so I've been thinking, you know what, I'm just going to do, like, if I had my chance to do one last sermon, what would it be? You know, I mean, someday I'm going to preach my last sermon. And, and, and I hope it's not now. You can pray either way that you want that to go. I, I <laughs> wouldn't be the first time. But, it, but, but someday I'm going to, and if I, if, if I could pick one. This would be the last one, all right? I mean, if I could pick like one last shot I had before I, you know, never preached again or before I died or whatever, it would be this one. So it would, be, it would go something like this. If you and I were having a deep life talk and uh, you were just like, PT, tell me the secret to life, it would go something like this. Cowboy leads a different kind of life when there were cowboys. They're a dying breed. Still means something to me, though. A couple of days, you'll move this herd across the river, driving through the valley. Oh, <laughs> there's nothing like bringing in a herd. See, now that's great. Your life makes sense to you. <laughs> How old are you? 38. 39. Yeah. You all come up here about the same age, same problems. Spend about 50 weeks a year getting knots in your rope, and then, and then you think two weeks up here will time for you. None of you get it. Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This. Your finger? One thing. Just one thing. That's great, but what's the one thing? That's what you've got to figure out. Youngins, that movie's called City Slickers, okay? Um, here's the deal. The good news for you. If you and I were having that conversation, I would say that life is about this. It's about one thing. As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting. We didn't even plan this. The kids' ministry, this is what they're doing this weekend. In one way, you know, that, that this, is their, this is your kid's craft. It, we didn't plan it at all. It was completely the Holy Spirit. If you were going to do this, this, you know, if, if I was going to say it would be the one thing. But here's, here's the good news for you. I'm going to tell you the one thing. I know what the one thing is, all right? So you don't have to go, oh, we better figure it out. No, I'm going to tell you the one thing. Now, here's the, here's the problem. When I tell you the one thing, some of you are going to look at me like I'm an infomercial on TV, 
okay? Because it's going to be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. I just don't believe it, you know? Like I'm the spray-on hair guy, right? And, and you're like, okay, yeah, that, I'm sure that works really well, but I don't want to spray paint my head. So what else do you have? I want to, I want to encourage you to not have that attitude and, and try to hear this maybe for the first time, even if this is very familiar to you. Here is the one thing. According to Jesus Christ himself, this is the one thing. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Okay? Some of you are looking at me that way. Stop it. Okay? Maybe you've heard this before, but that is the one thing. This is it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Now, here's the, here's the deal with my summer break and just thinking through some things. I have a new appreciation for this verse. I have a new appreciation just in the things that God has done for me in the last year and some, some things he's taught me. I feel like I can teach this in a different way now at, at this age than I could ever before. Okay, and So what I want to do is I just want to unpack this verse, and the only way I can unpack this verse for you is if I go back. And, and tell you what else you might be seeking, all right? The verse that I just read you is at the end of a passage that Jesus is doing about worry, and this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the, you know, this is the big one, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, all right? In Matthew 6, he says, here's what you usually worry about. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right? The first thing Jesus says we normally spend our life seeking is treasures. Even if, even if we're not doing it like, you know, like we're trying to be rich, like we want to own the world, like Donald Trump or something like that, even if we're, you know, not doing it that way, even if it's just, man, I hope I have enough money to pay the bills or I hope I can send my kids to college or whatever, that's still something that we normally seek. It's something normally at the frontal lobe of our brain. All right, it goes on. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or your body or what you will wear is not life more important than food and body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Now, most of us aren't worried about necessarily um, you know, where, where our next meal is going to come from. Maybe you are, and if you are, please let us know because we want to help you. But, but most of us are in a place where we spend our time thinking about life, okay? Life, that, that's the second one. It's back to school's time. You know, don't worry about your clothes. Oh, no, we got to get the kids, you know, their clothes for school. We got to get their backpacks. I, I remember all those things, right? You're worried about life and the things that go on. He goes on, he says, why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not so much more clothe you, take care of your life, O oh, you of little faith? That's kind of the key right there, little faith. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear for the pagans run after these things? And your heavenly Father knows, he knows that you need them. And he says in there... He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? So, so let me put the third one up there. You can't, add, you can't add more time. We worry about the future also. And, and, and I know, I mean, you know, Mr. Green Jeans was on Captain Kangaroo, okay, in case you're wondering. And, 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 I, and, 
And, and I get that some of us are getting older, and it is like, you know, I'm at the period of time where I have to start thinking, you know, about, well, actually, it should have been a long time ago, do I have money to retire on, you know, someday? And, and, and how are things going to go at the end? Yeah, I'm not paying for diapers anymore. I'm not paying for college anymore. I, I got some, you know, some other things I can do, but I have to start thinking about it. And I know I'm getting older because I know what Captain Kangaroo is. And I watched City Slickers, and I was at IHOP the other day, and, and it hit me. I am one year away from the senior discount at IHOP. <laughs> it's at 55. I'm going to be 54 in a couple weeks. I'm one year away from being a senior. I mean, getting those ARP card things, you know, those, those notifications, that wasn't a big deal, but this one kind of hit me. I'm going I'm to be a year from now sitting at IHOP trying to figure out, am I going to admit, you know? Am I going to get backward carded? I mean, I don't, I, you know, at IHOP so I can get the discount? And I thought, yeah, I am. Absolutely. Because my cheap is stronger than my pride, you understand? But, 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 I'm, but, it, but it's kind of, you know, I mean, like, what's going to happen? I heard about a guy this week that put braces on his dentures so he could look younger. I mean, there, there's all kinds of stuff that we're doing, right? Because we're worried about our treasures, and we're worried about life, and we're worried about the future and, and how these things are all going to go. But I do feel like I can preach on this subject like I never could before because of where I'm at in my life and because I've gotten to the point where I've, I've gotten through a bunch of the stages of life that you have been at, and, and I... At the same time, I want you to know that I'm not judging you, okay? I, I have the same problem as you. I seek treasures and life stuff and future stuff, and that's what's in the beginning of my brain a lot. I mean, there's a lot of time during the day when the one thing is not the kingdom of God, when the one thing is something else, some other problem, something that's going on. And I run a large organization with a lot of employees and a big budget, and, and there's a lot of things going on, and, and God has a lot of crazy ideas for us. And, and, and it makes me sometimes a little anxious. As a matter of fact, if you don't know this, I'm a, I'm a bad sleeper. I'm a light sleeper. I always have been. And um, so I finally decided this week I would go in and do one of those sleep studies, okay? Which, um, you know, is just just wonderful, wonderful experience, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Here's what they say. They say, we're going to study how you sleep. And then, and then you go into this, you know, strange place, okay? You're already a bad sleeper. And they hook you up. I, I believe I counted 10 different little electrodes that they put all over you, you know? They put this little goo stuff, and they stick it to you. And you got these things around here, and you got stuff on, on your legs, and you're all wired to this machine. And then they say, okay, go to sleep so we can study you. <laughs> this is what I look like. How do you sleep like that, Okay. <laughs> I, I, I was like, I was like, this is kind of like going to the dentist and saying, I have a toothache, and him saying, well, here's a bag of Jolly Ranchers, go eat these, and let's see what happens, right? Now, it actually went fine because they let me take my Ambien to go to sleep, which was kind of ironic and the other side of it, but it went fine. And, and here's what's going to happen. They're going to find out, one way or another, they're going to find out that maybe I have a lack of oxygen when I sleep, and my wife will be sleeping with Darth Vader for the rest of her life, some of you... <laughs> You know, have that, have that thing on your head. Or they're going to find out um, that I grind my teeth, or they're going to find out that I have restless legs, or, or, or maybe they will just say, you know what? You ought to just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and go to sleep. You ought to not worry about your treasures in your life and, you know, in your future. Just let God run the universe and, and, and see how things are going to go. Here's what's funny about this verse. Jesus says, 
I know that we all worry about those things, but who is it that, that, that really worries and runs after those things? It's the pagans, right? The unbelievers. They run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, okay? The difference between being a believer and not being a believer is, is about who you really believe is in charge. The, the pagans, the, the, the non-believers, okay, and maybe that's you, welcome, We're, we won't call you a pagan, that was Jesus, we're glad you're here, okay? They just, if you're, if you're a non-believer, you think that you are in charge. You may not even want to be in charge, but if you don't believe that somebody else is, you think you have to do everything. And they don't really, this is the interesting thing, God is the father of everyone. It doesn't matter whether you believe or not. Did you notice in that passage, it doesn't say that Jesus takes care of the Christian sparrows. It doesn't say that God our Father takes care of the Christian lilies. The Christian lilies look pretty and the other ones are, are dead because they're going to hell. It doesn't, it doesn't say that at all. God takes care of all the lilies and all the sparrows and, and all the people in the world because every one of them is his child. Okay, Don't get me wrong, I believe in prayer. I believe that God answers prayer, and that he, Jesus is going to go on in this passage and say, if you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open. I believe that that's important, but it's about God being our Father. Please, it always comes back that God is the Father, and he's the Father of everyone. So he's going to give everyone the food that they need. Maybe it's from me to give to you. You know, that's how the poverty thing got the way that it is. We should take care of that. But God's taking care of everything. But if you have a special request, he's, he's going to help you with it. My youngest daughter's bedroom to this day is painted hot pink. The walls are hot pink because that's what she wanted. When she was like in sixth grade going through her disco phase, she wanted hot pink walls. And I, I, she keeps asking me to paint it, and I won't because I think it's funny. That's what she wanted. You, got, you, you, know, you made your walls, and you lie in them, okay? <laughs> you're, you're, you're never here anyway. What do you care? Why would I paint your room? It's, we use it for storage, okay? But, but, but we're going we're gonna to do this, right? We're, we're going to take care of God's going to take care of everybody. And if you're a believer, he's going he's gonna to answer your, quest, your, your request. Here's the difference, okay? This is not about making God happy. Please understand this. Jesus is not saying, seek first the kingdom of God, and then God will be happy, and he will bestow on you these wonderful blessings. This is about me. This is about how I live my life. This is, this is about how I do life and who I let run life. That's why Jesus said we should be like children. Let the children come to me, for as such is the kingdom of heaven. That's what we should be like. What are, what are your kids like when they're little? I mean, my grandson is 10 months old. He doesn't worry about what he's going to eat. He just eats everything that's in front of him, and, and he's all good, right? He doesn't worry about what he's going to wear. He's going to poop in it anyway. doesn't matter. He, he doesn't worry about the future, right? That, kids have that. They have that faith, that, that faith. Do you know that, like, the number one kid's book in America is called Everyone Poops? Do you know that? It's a weird world we live in. It, Charlie doesn't care about those things. Your kids don't care about those things. It, it, they, they have the faith in, in, their, in their father and their mother to take care of them, and that's how we should live. And how much easier is their life? How much better do they sleep? How much more quality of life do, does a kid have? Kids laugh 100 times a day. Adults, on average, less than 30. Why is that? Because we think we run the universe. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let me just break this down, all right? Do a little English lesson. Let's just break it down. But, all right, it's a contrast. 
So you could worry about your treasures and your life and your future, but rather what you ought to do is this. Seek. Seek. There's a diligence to this word, okay? Jesus doesn't say, hey, look around for the kingdom of God. He doesn't say, if it happens to occur to you, think about the kingdom of God. He says, seek. You, you got to go look for it like it's, like it's your kid and they're lost. As a matter of fact, it's the same word used in Luke 15. When the shepherd has lost one of his lost sheep, he leaves everything and he goes and searches for it. You seek. It's your car keys. You're late for an appointment. That's how you should live your life. It's your iPhone. It's in the septic ejector pit. You seek, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? Uh, when is the last time you treated the kingdom of God like it was something that you absolutely had to find? Seek first. It's, it's the one thing. One thing. Greek word protos literally means first in the line of other options. Okay, you have plenty of other options. They recognize, God recognizes that. Seek first the kingdom. Bob Benson is a, is a writer and a speaker, and he was speaking for his son's commencement service from college. And it was, you know, back in the day, he was all dressed up for, for this thing. And, and he was a, a preacher and a speaker, but he was a little bit more nervous because it was commencement. He wanted it to do a really good job. So he really worked on his message a lot. And, and you know, he went out and bought a new three-piece suit, you know, with the vest and everything. And he said, I, I got up that day. I was feeling really good. I got all dressed. I went up. I did my speech. I felt like I nailed it. There was really good response. And I went back and, and you know, I was, I was hanging out with my son and some of his friends. And one of his friends came up to me and said, hey, that was a really good Good job, but did you notice you had your vest buttoned the wrong way? And, and sure enough, he'd like you know it was like it was like cockeyed. So the whole time he's giving this great speech that he thinks is so inspiring, he knows that everybody's just looking at him because he's an idiot because 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 one hole is up here and one button's down here and they don't match up. And and he, as he was contemplating it, he said, you know, it's really easy to get your vest buttoned the wrong way. If you button it the wrong way at the top, you're going to button it that way all the way down. If, if you get everything lined up, it's going to line up all the way down. What this means is, if you will seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness first, then all the other things are going to line up for you. Jesus said in another place, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again because he didn't want anybody else to find it. And in his joy went and sold everything else he had and bought that field because he knew it was worth it. That was his one thing. He went on. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, you know, it was one of those, it was, it was one of those, those things he got at a pawn shop that it was like, oh, I can't believe this is so valuable. He went away and sold everything that he had, and he bought it. It was his one thing. That's how it works. Seek first, but seek first his kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the world becoming through Jesus how he originally designed it. The kingdom of God is how it should have been in Genesis if sin wasn't in the, in the, in the world. The kingdom of God is the way God wants the kingdom to be run. This is about acknowledging the fact that you live in a kingdom that you don't run. That's why, that's why it's different than a believer and an unbeliever, because they don't believe that God runs it, and you believe that he does. 
Several years ago, probably eight years ago now, I got to go to Cuba. We have a ministry in Cuba. And, you know, back then we weren't so friendly and it was hard. Most Americans couldn't get into Cuba. And I want to tell you, I mean, it was like these big iron doors. I mean, you want to talk about going behind the iron curtain. It was like these big, crazy doors. You'd land the plane, and then you would go, you know, into Cuba, and they would shut these door, doors behind you, and they would, you know, and we were kind of smuggling in baseball equipment, which was a little bit weird, but we, we, that's our baseball ministry down there. So we got all these things. We're going, and we have no idea what's going to happen. I want to tell you what I did not do. I did not walk into Cuba I did not walk into communism and go, hey, where's Fidel? I want to tell him how things ought to go around here. This is his kingdom. I might not, I might not like all of it. I might, I might not even agree with it, but it's his kingdom. The beautiful thing about walking into the kingdom of God is you can trust the fact that it is good and it is right. And that's where we get to the next word, his kingdom and his righteousness. This one trips people up because a lot of people think of righteousness as me being good. It's about me being good enough. And I don't want you to interpret, maybe you've heard this verse before and you've thought, well, this is about me being good enough that all these things will be added to me. No, no, no. No, You're good enough. If you have Jesus, you're perfect. He died for all your sins. But there's a right way and a wrong way. I mean, obviously righteousness, you see how that goes? There's a right way and a wrong way. And if you will figure out that God's kingdom, it's his kingdom anyway, even if you don't like it and you don't understand it, you you should seek first that kingdom. But it's the right way and it's going to help you. And what's going to happen if that happens? And all these things will be added to you as well. All what things, you guys? All the treasures and the life and the future and all the other dumb stuff that we were losing sleep over in the first place as well. All those things will happen as well. You'll have all the stuff that you need. Dallas Willard talks about the fact that we have to trust the kingdom of God is the one that we really want to seek. And a lot of times we don't. A lot of times we're like, oh, I don't want to have to be with God all the time. I don't want to have to do things God's way. But the truth of the matter is, your life will be a lot better if you do. Because he's your father and he loves you. If you go through the Sermon on the Mount, I I would encourage you to do this. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, not more important words in the entire Bible. Sermon on the Mount. He goes through and talks about all these different issues. All these different things that, that get messed up when we're in the kingdom of me as opposed to the kingdom of God. Like, for example, love your neighbor or love your enemy should you do, is your life better when you live with love for your enemy or is it better when you hate them? And you know the answer to that. You know that hatred, that unforgiveness is going to ruin your life. It talks about adultery. Adultery, good or bad. It may seem good for a little while, but I've never ever talked to anybody that committed adultery and five years later they said, yeah, I'm really glad I made that decision. Divorce. Jesus talks about divorce in there. Some of you are kids who grew up with parents who who split up, and you so wish they would have figured out how to make things happen. Keep your word. If If you give an oath, Jesus says, keep it. What would the world be like if we really did that? Dallas Willard talks about the cost of non-discipleship. And that's just, this is really, really hitting me strong. I mean, I mean this, is, this is what I'm talking about, the cost of non-discipleship. Look at this. The cost of non-discipleship is far greater than the price paid to walk with Jesus. 
See, the problem is a lot of times when I talk to people about the kingdom of God, they're like, okay, I, you know, I know I need to. I believe in God. I want to follow Jesus. But it's about all these things I have to give up. And I always try to say, and it's just easier for me now that I'm older, I always try to say, if you could just understand that, that the stuff that you're giving up is not helping you and the stuff that God wants to give you is the best life you could possibly have, it would change everything. The cost of non-discipleship is greater than the price paid to walk with Jesus. Non-discipleship costs abiding peace. You can't have that if, you don't, if you, you don't know who's in charge. Or a life penetrated by love. Or faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good. Or hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. Or power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. That's inside of me, but I, if I don't know it, it's not going to help me. It, it, in short, it costs exactly the abundant life that Jesus said he came to bring. You can't have abundant life unless you get this, okay? That's why this is the one thing. That's why if I get hit by a bus this week, it's all good. This is the best thing I can tell you. One thing. Then he goes on, he says, the correct perspective, the correct perspective is to see following Christ not only as the necessity that it is, because it is, he's in charge, but as the fulfillment of the highest human possibilities in life on the highest plane. This is the best place that you can be. Uh, if you're from around here, you know that my life's mantra, my, my creed in life is Heaven to earth, earth to heaven. I have it tattooed right here in the middle of my cross. Okay? I would have a longer mantra, but there's limited you know, space to work with here. I can't put the 23rd Psalm on there. It would be too small. Nobody would see it. Okay? Heaven to earth, six words. That's what I got. Heaven to earth, earth to heaven. That's my mission. That's what it's about. Earth to heaven is obvious. I'm a, I'm a pastor. My heart is for the people that are outside the kingdom of God to bring them into the kingdom of God so that when we get to heaven, I can take as many people to heaven with me when I die as possible. And I've spent my life preaching the gospel and trying to do that. But what's changing for me is for me to understand how much of heaven is really available on earth. I'm starting to realize that when someone finds Jesus, heaven is not just about later. It is about the best life they can possibly have. Let me unpack this just a little for you. I was talking with my son-in-law, Ash, about the difference in his life before God and, and after God. And it's a perfect illustration. And let me tell you about how the whole thing happened. Can I just unpack this story? Um, I blogged about it recently. It's been weird for us to think back, uh, to think about Ash and, uh, and think about his life and to realize that we've been praying for him literally for Probably 30 years. He's going to turn 30 in a, in a, in a couple of months. And we, before our kids were born, we prayed for our kids' spouses. So we've been praying for Ash all of his life. And here's the weird thing. You know, we would just be, you know, well, we're doing it for our grandkids now. Lord, please, whoever our grandkids, if you choose to give our grandkids a spouse, please help them to grow up and know you. And all these times we're praying for Ash, we are assuming that we're praying for a kid that, you know, like, might be one of your kids, you know? We're assuming that it might be, you know, a Parkview kid. I'm glad that didn't happen, but, you know, we're assuming that, you know? Someone she'd meet, you know, in, in college or, or high school, like her sister did, uh, or, you know, at, at least some kid who grew up in a church in the U.S. 
That's just kind of where your brain is at, right? Just processing it that way. That's, that's what I assume. Because I know that Rachel's going to be only attracted to a strong believer. I, I know that. I mean, I know she's not going to, you know, get yoked with somebody that, that's not going to be the, a great dad to her kids. And that's going to involve Jesus. I, I knew all that, which, which she was. But Ash only became a believer after she got to know him as a part of a ministry that she was instrumental in starting. And here's the craziness of the story. Um, I've got a friend who's in town this weekend who preaches at a church down in Savannah who is actually responsible, who beat the next service, he's actually responsible for this stuff happening because of, of God, okay, and how God works things out. This, this guy, my friend Cam, was the president of the convention that I was president of last year, and it was several years before that, and I was on his executive committee, and there were other guys, other men and women on this executive committee, and, and we didn't know each other very well, so we were in Cincinnati meeting to get this convention planned, and I go to Hampton Inn, I remember it like it was yesterday, you, you know, you go through the line, you get those that piece of sausage that's probably cat meat and, you know, some, some you know what I'm talking about? The, those cheap motels, they, they, oh, we got a full breakfast. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right, okay. So you get that stuff, and I sit down, and I sit across the table from Dean Collins. Didn't know Dean. He was the president of, uh, is the president of Point University down in Atlanta, and uh, started talking to him, and he started telling me about how his daughter and son-in-law were going to go start a campus ministry in England. With a, with a mission group that we support. And they were going to go do this campus ministry in England. And as soon as, 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 the, as the words are coming out of his mouth, the Holy Spirit is going, Rachel needs to do that. I mean, Rachel was always, you know, infatuated with Europe and, and things anyway. And um, music was going to be a part of this deal and campus ministry. And she was getting ready to be a junior in college down in Nashville. And so, uh, you know, I just, I just really felt like that, that was the right thing. And so she literally quit school. She, they, they, they wouldn't let her stay in school and do this and went and, and enrolled in the University of Birmingham, England, so that she could go help start this campus ministry. And I've talked about it before, but in that midst of that thing that happened, she meets Ash, and Ash is a part of this ministry, and he meets all these people, and he, he does not understand the things of God at all. 4% of England are believers right now. Uh, he doesn't understand any of these things, but he sees Jesus. He sees the one thing in, in, these, in these young people. And actually, Nathan Jones, who's our student minister, was one of those people as well. It, he sees it, and he comes to Christ, and he not only, you know, because of that breakfast, comes to Christ, but he ends up becoming my son-in-law and the father of my grandson. Now, how does all that happen? I... I I can't make that happen. Only God can make that happen. But we were talking recently about, you know, where things are in his life. And I have such a deep sense in the gospel right now being so much more about heaven someday than it is about being more, more about heaven now than it is just about someday because of my conversation with Ash. Because Ash is starting to realize the trajectory that his life was on before and the trajectory that his life is on now. And he realizes that, that it's a different value system, it's a different kingdom, but it's a different peace, and it's a different power. And if you found Christ later in life, you know what I mean. There, there's, a, there's a difference there. The cost of non-discipleship really is more than the cost of discipleship. I grew up with Jesus. I've had Jesus all my life. 
My life hasn't been perfect, but, but I've always had the blessing of knowing I had a little bit of heaven on earth. And when you come to Christ later in life, you, you get the difference. It's like, okay, I understand this now. God's kingdom is better. Uh, and let me, let me unpack it with my Bill Hybels illustration again. I was at this conference on stewardship, and Bill Hybels from Willow Creek gets up, and he says, here's the problem with stewardship. Stewardship is about the fact that God, you know, gives me things, and then I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to run them. They're not mine, but I'm supposed to run them, especially when it comes to money. And he said, he got up and he got to a whiteboard and he said, here's the problem, you guys. Currently, what we do with our people is we say, here's the deal. Here's B. Let's just say that B is where you want to be. Maybe, you know, at, at 54 years of age, I want B to be, you know, I'm ready to retire. I own a restaurant. You know, I, I, I got, you know, my house paid off or whatever, whatever it is, is B, okay? And, and we talk to these, these younger people and they're at A and they have a goal of B, and they start going, okay, well, if I'm going to get to B, I need to, and, and again, this is a part of Dave Ramsey's deal, I need to plan so that I can get to B. I need to get out of debt, quit spending stupid money, and save up for the future. That's B. That's what's supposed to happen. He says, but here's what, here's what we do normally as preachers. What we normally do is we say, now, here's the difference. If you're a believer and you live in the kingdom of God, God says, bring the tithe to the storehouse. Bring me the first 10%. To prove, not because I need your money, but to prove that you really do trust that my kingdom is the way to go and let me partner with you. And the Bible promises that if we do that, 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 that the floodgates will be opened by God, that we will not have room enough to store the blessings of God. And we preach, A, with 90% of me, plus God is going to get me to be. And I, and I guarantee you, I believe that 100%. Here's what blew my mind. Bill said, but what if there is a C? And that's where I live. I live in C. I live in the life of C. And Ash is already realizing that he lives in the life of C. He's already realizing that all the things that I think I wanted and all the things that I, that I wanted to be able to do at B, at, at, at whatever B is, at 54 years of age, whatever those things are, they're, they're, they pale in comparison compared to the things that God has actually given me and the place that I live. It's something to the effect of immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. That's what C is. That's the life of C. Immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. If we do this. Okay? If we do this, I'm anxious for that perfect version of heaven someday where there will be no more tears and no more death and no more pain. I'm anxious for that. But every once in a while, you and I need a reminder that some of heaven is available on earth. We might not get the life of Z when we get to, that's, that's going to be heaven. It's going to be that much better than where we are right now. But we could live in C instead of B. We could live in C instead of A. Here's what the prophet said that God said to him. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. When God's calling you, this is what he wants. Plans to give you hope and a future. Remember that future thing? Then you will call upon me. You come and pray with me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Now, all of your heart, that, that's what's going to happen. That's when I'm going to show up, when you seek me with all of your heart. One thing, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. 
again, with the Dallas Willard. The correct perspective is to see following Christ not only as the necessity that it is, but as the fulfillment of the highest human possibilities and life on the highest plane. So what I believe is that my grandson's life, isn't he a doll? I haven't showed you a picture in a while. I needed to. (laughs) Will be completely different than it would have been if Ash hadn't decided to seek first. Would have been completely different than if Rachel hadn't decided to seek first and give up some school and go to England. Would have been completely different if I hadn't gotten, to, if I hadn't decided to be on this committee, or Dean Collins hadn't decided to be on this committee, or if, or if Cam Huxford hadn't decided to be the president of that convention, or, 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 or if Cam Huxford hadn't decided to follow Jesus and, and, and seek first the kingdom of God at some point in his life. Charlie's life would be different. What I'm saying is that you could make one simple decision right now. You could make one simple little decision this week that could change the trajectory of your entire life. And it might not just change the trajectory of your life, it might change the trajectory of your kids' lives. It might change the trajectory of somebody's grandson that you don't even know if you make it your one thing. We kind of joked about the fact that someday, you know, Charlie's future family will talk about like a lot of you, it's really weird to think about, talk about how, yeah, granddad came over from England. You know, in 2012, to marry Rachel. I mean, a lot of you have family, you know, grandma or maybe both of them that came over from Italy or, or, or wherever, you know. They're going to have that same conversation. And you, you get what I'm talking about. But the real story in the family line of Charlie Harris will not be about the transformation, will not be about the transition from the United Kingdom to the United States of America. The real story will be about the radical change that happened in the family in the transition from the kingdom of me to the kingdom of God.